0: People walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you, as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, every warrior's boot used in battle. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this.
1: This morning, we light our first candle. The light of the flame symbolizes the illumination of Jesus Christ in our lives. The disciple John tells us Jesus Christ is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. This Christmas season, let the light of Jesus Christ shine out of darkness.
0: Let his light shine in our hearts so we may have the knowledge of the glory of God. Gracious Lord, may your mighty blessing be upon us this Christmas season. May your light shine upon our lives, removing the darkness about us. May the joyful good news of Jesus and his coming change our lives and give us hope for when he comes again in power. Amen.
1: One of the things that we try to do in between... Other situations with with coming to uh, minister the word and it's called a transition and we try to figure out what we're doing for transition so they can get ready up there with the words and the screens and everything. So I'll give you a transition. I bet you didn't know. I bet you didn't know that this week I got a haircut. I bet you didn't know that the sweater I have on right now is the one that's in your bulletin in the picture. I, I, I get points for that. I bet you didn't know that the Steelers are going to beat the Bills this afternoon. And I bet you didn't know that somewhere in a third world country there is a tree with my name on it. Talking with my daughter-in-law this week, their church, uh, they're doing something uh, a little similar to what we're doing, not on a larger scale. But they're asking the congregation to take some of the monies they would spend for Christmas and purchase a tree uh, for a country that has uh, very little foliage and vegetation. And uh, they wanted to want to do that in honor of someone. So Joette told me this week, she said, I have taken money and purchased a tree and have planted it in honor of you. And I thought that was kind of neat. But we are moving into the Advent season. And as Pastor mentioned to you, Advent simply means the coming. It's the four weeks prior to Christmas that we're slowing down. And that's what I try to work on is slowing down. In fact, every time I get up to do something on the platform, my wife will tell me when I get back to the seat, you've got to slow down. You sound more like an auctioneer than you do a pastor. So if you see her over there going like this, she's not bowing to me. She's telling me, slow down but when we when we look at the season that we're entering into it's a preparation it's the penitence it's the prayer it's the four weeks coming up to this great weekend that we call christmas when we celebrate the birth of jesus christ and you can never start too early for something really big And we understand that, the world understands that. In fact, that's why around Halloween, we begin hearing snippets of Christmas. And then we have Black Friday, where 138, estimated 138 million Americans went out and made purchases on Black Friday. And if you weren't able to be a part of that, then we have Cyber Monday coming up tomorrow. And that's where you will go online and make your purchases and and doing this whole preparation for Christmas. But what we're wanting to emphasize and kicking off with this sermon today, simply entitled Worship Fully, and I thought that was interesting because it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving. You'll catch that, that most of you have come today and worshiped fully. But what we're wanting to do is take this morning to settle into our hearts and our minds and our spirits that really worshiping fully is what it's all about. I want you to watch the video. We're going to show you something that will help bring us into focus and help us understand really what the Christmas season is all about. I want to take just a few moments to focus in on this phrase "worship fully." I've, I've thought about this. It, it is a part of what I'm sharing with you today, but it's something that I can't get away from, and I'm going to give you uh, an illustration that maybe some of you aren't really familiar with and you're growing up in church. But uh, there's a point, and so if you bear with me, I will get to that point in just just about 60 seconds. When we talk about worshiping fully. It really becomes relevant. In growing up in church, all of my life uh, I've been a part of church ever since I can remember My first experience of worship in a church was at a small uh, country church, really quite a few people, but basically a piano and a song leader. We didn't call them worship leaders at that time. they were song leaders. In fact, the song leader would come on Sunday and bib overhauls and a white shirt, and he would have a song book, and he led us in songs. And we worshipped fully. Continuing to grow up in church, I remember that because at that particular time, drums and guitars, those were the devil's instruments. They really weren't allowed in church, and so it was the piano. Then we advanced to the piano and the organ. And then we advanced to the piano and the organ, and they brought in a couple of guitars and a trumpet and a trombone. And uh, my friend and I were taking drum lessons in junior high and high school, and they allowed us to bring our snare drums in. And we had a little band in church. And people sang choruses, and they sang songs, and they worshiped fully according to their understanding. And God met them in a special way. My grandmother attended the Church of Christ. The Church of Christ did not have instruments in the church. But they would meet every Sunday. They would sing songs a cappella without accompaniment. And yet every Sunday my grandmother would understand that she was going to church to worship fully as much as she understood and continuing on through the years, we had the bands, and we went from the hymnals, and we used, started using overheads, and, and, and worship has always been a, a kind of an ambiguous term, if you will, but in the years ahead, then we went to a, uh, for several years, we went to a conference in Cottersport, Pennsylvania, and that church would sing the slow songs, they would sing the worship songs. But when they would get into some of the more up-tempo songs, not only they had the piano and the organ and all of the guitars and the trumpets and the trombones and, and, and every imaginable instrument you could think of, but when they got, if you will, cranking it up, people started coming out of the aisles and coming to the front and dancing and just having a fantastic time and in fact, I asked one of the congregations, I said, why do, they, why do they do that? Why do they feel that this always has to happen? And he said, you know, he said, Don, these people have come out of bars. They've come out of, uh, of the world, and that was their life. And they come now to worship God, and the only way they know how to do it, the only way they know how to express themselves is to just worship God the way they used to worship the devil. And they worshiped fully to their understanding. My mother and I would often visit the Church of God in Christ. That's an African-American church. Many times we were the only white people in the church. They had the Hammond organ. They not only played it, kind of like with Jake on the bass, they made it talk. They made it sing. They made it create a message of their own. And they brought out the tambourines and the organ and the piano and the tambourines. And they worshiped. Fully, according to their understanding. And I said all of that to say this. When we understand the concept of worship, it's not about an act. It's about an attitude. And I want to say something this morning to probably many of you in this congregation. There are times when pastor will ask us to come up to the front as we are preparing for worship as John did this morning, I heard him say, let's come to the front and worship. And there are some of you folks that probably have come out of a different church environment than perhaps what we are in now. And you've been sitting there in the pew or standing in your pew saying, you know, I would really like to come to the front, but but I don't worship like that person does. And I don't jump like that person does. And I don't twirl around like that person does so I just kind of feel out of place but let me remind you this morning that worship is not an act it's an attitude worship is not about style it's about substance and so if you feel that you want to come to the front of this church and just stand in that's worship you want to come and just simply lift your hands to the Lord that's worship And when we understand the concept of worshiping fully, we're going to understand the concept of Christmas. We're going to understand what these four weeks are all about. Since the things we desire are the things we end up worshiping, we must take a fresh look at what really matters. Because when we understand Christmas more deeply, we will worship Christ more fully. When we really understand what it's about. Because you see, the birth of Jesus doesn't really fit in with Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, and Frosty, the snowman, and Here Comes Santa Claus. If you took those four characters and put them together and would ask the question: which one doesn't fit? Obviously, it would have to be the birth of Christ. Because when we think of Christmas and we think of worship, we think of a time of wonder and awe, a time of understanding the meaning of Christmas. So, this morning, I want you to do this with me for the next few moments. Normally, at Christmas time, as you travel around the community and the downtown area, you may come across a nativity scene. Not only that, but it's a nativity scene with live people and live animals. And you will walk by and think, why in the world are they standing out here 10 degrees above zero? Because I really don't think it was that weather when Christ was born. But instead of walking by the nativity scene this morning, I want you to become a participant I want you to put yourself in the place of these people that we're going to talk about, and I want you to see how they have worshipped fully the coming of the Messiah. First of all, we're talking about Mary, and we understand that the whole concept with Mary is Mary surrendered. We know that the angel of the Lord came to her We know that the conversation, we know that the angel said, fear not. We know the whole Christmas story wrapped around Mary. But Mary says in Luke chapter 1 and verse 38, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. And what we have found out about Mary, and there's a lot of things that we don't know, The Bible is is not explicit regarding Mary. We do know that she was probably a young lady in her late teens. We don't know anything about her family. We suspect or we surmise that prior to this angel coming to visit her, perhaps she was sitting in the front of her home... Perhaps she was contemplating, maybe doing some knitting, maybe doing some mending of clothes. We really don't know what she was doing when the angel of the Lord came to speak with her, but we do know this. The thought of God's presence with her destroyed all thought of self. And and at this young, tender age, A teenage girl engaged to be married to a carpenter by the name of Joseph. Though she was initially troubled and afraid, she listened to the angel and responded with surrender. Because here's the thing. God's purpose for us is more about working in us than working through us. God's purpose is more about working in us than working through us. And I know because we are excited about being an instrument, being a vessel, being a tool that is used of God. We pray, oh God, use me, use me, use me, use me. And God is saying, before I can use you, there's something I have to do in you. And Mary was understanding of this. So understanding the surrender, surrender is a part of worship. When we worship fully, we are surrendering. We're surrendering ourself, we are surrendering our attitude, we are surrendering our ideas and our opinions, and we are standing and saying, I surrender all. That's a part of worshiping fully. And my question to us this morning is this. Have we ever offered ourselves totally in surrender to the Lord as his servant? If you're like me, there have been many times, there have been often times that I have said, in fact, in my younger years, we used to sing the chorus, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender. And I never really knew what that meant. I was singing it out of innocence. I was singing it to the best of my understanding, but I never knew that when I gave that song of surrender that maybe four, five, six, ten years down the road, God would tap me on the shoulder and say, Don, here's something else that you need to surrender. And I would get that taken care of, and maybe six months or a year or two later, he would speak into my life and say, Now, here's something else that you need to surrender. And I remember when Kirby was born, our our firstborn, Kirby was just just about, I think, probably a year old, somewhere in there. It was at night. We were upstairs. Barbara and I was in our bedroom, and he was in his bedroom. Nathan had not been born yet. And Barbara heard this noise. And it was a noise of... (sighs) can't get your breath. And she said, Don, something's wrong. Something's wrong with Kirby. I walk in, and he's laying in his little bed. He can't get his breath. He can't breathe. And immediately, like a flash, the question came to me, and I believe it was God simply asking, if I decide to take your son, are you willing? And I remember the flashback very fast with Abraham, with Isaac, and I remember saying, God, you have given him to us, if it's your will, it's your will, you take him, I give him to you, and immediately at the last word of that sentence, the breathing resumed, and he had never had a problem from that day on. But there was a moment in my life, and let me say, as a father, I learned fast. When Nathan was born, I didn't wait for another experience. I said, God, here he is. (laughs) Take him quick. I don't want to go through this again. But I've learned the surrender of my children. I've learned the surrender of my wife. I've learned the surrender of our family. And this morning, we ask ourselves the question, Have we offered ourselves in total surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ to be His servant? Mary did, and that's why she was able to worship fully. There's another character in the story, the Christmas story. He wasn't a part of the, obviously, the birth and the nativity scene. But it's an important part because here's a guy by the name of John. John the Baptist as we know him. And the reason that I put John in there, and you'll see in just a few moments, is very, very significant. We do know the background of John's parents. Zachariah and Elizabeth were, the Bible says, they were righteous people. They loved God. In in our terms today, they were followers of Jesus. However, they were getting old in age. And they Elizabeth at this point was barren. She had not had children, and it was kind of a stigma that had stayed with her all of the years of her life. Zachariah was a priest, he was doing his duties in the temple, and while he was at the altar of incense. The angel of the Lord came to him, stood on his right side, and said, Fear not, Zechariah, but your wife is going to have a baby. And notice what happens here. Zechariah, a follower of Jesus, a righteous man, simply says, How can this be? Now, understand they had been praying for children, but they had probably been praying in their early years. And they probably had forgotten the principle that every prayer that we pray is filed in heaven, but it's never forgotten. And according to your prayers, your wife is going to have a baby. And Zechariah says, how can this be? And because of that slight element of question or unbelief, the angel says, you shall not speak nor shall you hear until the time has come of the birth of your son. And I mentioned to my wife uh, yesterday or the day before, I said, wow, I'm I'm glad God gives us a little bit of grace here. Because how many times has God said to you and I something that he was going to do in our life, and we talk back and we say, well, how's that going to happen? Well, that's never going to happen. And can you imagine what it would be like if every time we experienced or exercised or vocalized that unbelief that God would say okay you're not going to speak and you're not going to talk until I bring the answer to your situation. But here's a man by the name of John and as Mary is coming to Elizabeth Elizabeth now is pregnant she's about 6 months pregnant Mary comes to give her the good news that she too is expecting a child. His name will be called Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And notice what takes place here. Elizabeth says this, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now, I ask a couple of people, a little prenatal information. And I said, how possible is it for the baby in the womb to respond to activities or sounds outside of the womb? And they said that babies here. That's why mothers, and probably many of you mothers, you either play music or you've had music on your tummy playing when the baby is in the womb. They they hear that. It's also been documented that babies can taste. They have placed sugar water in the womb, and the baby would respond. Now, I'm not going out on a limb here, and I'm I'm not speculating, but something happened, whether it was a natural reaction or a spiritual reaction, but when Elizabeth Heard the news of the birth of Christ that was coming, John in her womb leaped for joy. John jumped. Now, that probably is not a figuratively correct way to describe that because I don't know how much room there is in a womb, but I don't think there's a lot of room to jump around or leap. But it was a description, and the reason that I included John in this is because there's something about being in the presence of Jesus that ought to cause us to jump for joy. I don't know about you, but I've had those times sitting here in the front row or the second row I've had those times in my office, I've had those times at home, I've had those alone times when something I was thinking or praying about or music I was listening to, but there was something that just clicked and something inside of me just, I sensed that innermost being being stored by that event. And when we are in the presence of Jesus, it ought to cause us to react somehow. And I don't know. It's speculation. We can, we can just speculate all day, but maybe John was saying, okay, I know I'm, I'm going to be the forerunner of somebody, but I don't know who it is. and I know God's got a plan for life. And here comes Mary, Elizabeth's cousin, and says, hey, I'm having a baby. And John goes, whoopee, here's the guy. Here's the one I'm going to be the forerunner for. But in the presence of Jesus, we worship fully. There's something. When we sing, when there are certain songs, there are certain songs that just just grab us. One that has been a part of Barbara and my life for all of the years that we've been married is, is, is that simple chorus Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, like our fragrance after the rain. And we sing that and there's something inside of us that stirs because we are sensing the presence of Jesus. The application is this. What holds us back from jumping for joy in the presence of Jesus? What holds us back from worshiping fully at the mention of His name? What holds us back from worshiping and surrendering completely when we know that we are standing in the presence of the Almighty? John did, one of our characters in the story, and he leaped for joy. Let's go back to Mary. It says, Mary magnified. Mary magnified. Mary surrendered, John jumped, and Mary magnified. In Luke chapter 1, verse 46, it says this, And Mary said, but she was blameless. Mary lets us know right away that she needed a Savior. You see, if we deify Mary, we are taking away the understanding that all have been born in sin and shapen in iniquity. If we deify Mary, we take away the understanding that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was the only one that came to this earth as human and lived a sinless life. And Mary makes it very clear. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She acknowledged God as her Savior, bursting forth in praise for His mighty works. Now I, I I thought about the word Mary mag, I thought about the word magnified and magnify, and then my mind went to magnifying glass. We use a magnifying glass because it helps us to see the unseen. And I sensed that as Mary began to magnify God, God began to help her to see the unseen. Our question today is this, in what ways does our life magnify the Lord so people can see him? You've heard us use the word reveal Jesus. What ways is your life, what ways is my life revealing Jesus? Because quite honestly, let's be honest with ourselves, and probably every one of us on a bad day could walk the streets of Erie and nobody see Jesus in us, (laughs) even with a magnifying glass. But there there are times that God brings us into situations that brings us into the environment of other people that there's something going on in our lives that people can tell there's a difference. That doesn't deify us. That doesn't make us special. It just really helps us to understand that we're just doing what God has asked us to do. When I was in between pastoring churches, I worked for my brother-in-law as a contractor. He was the contractor. I was the gopher. But, but we worked, he worked as a contractor, and in and, and one of the jobs, we were tearing up all of the carpet in this lady's house and replacing it with new. That was my job to tear it up. He got to replace it. So the lady came, comes home one day, and, and, and I'd had no conversation with her. She didn't know who I was, my name, what I was doing, and I'm, I remember so vividly, I'm in the stairway. She's coming up the stairs, and she stops, and she says, What do you do? I said, well, I I do whatever my brother-in-law asked me to do. You know, I I tear down, I pick up trash, I help. She says, no. What do you do? And I said, well, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a minister. She said, I knew there was something about you that what you were doing now is not really what you were called to do. I hadn't, I hadn't said anything. There was no big Jesus and cross on my shirt. I didn't carry the big family Bible under my arm. But, but there, and, and, and I wish I could say that every day of my life has been like that, but it hasn't. But there was something at that moment that caught her attention and wanted to know, what do you do? There's something revealed in your character, in your attitude. There's something revealed in your countenance that tells me there's something different than what I'm used to. In what ways does our life magnify the Lord so that people can see him? Now, let's take a look at another guy, another Part of our story, another character, and you know him quite well. His name's Joseph. Joseph had become engaged to Mary. I'm paraphrasing this. Found out that she was pregnant, was going to divorce her, went to bed one night and had a dream. The angel of the Lord came to Joseph and said, Joseph, fear not this is okay, it's ordained of God. And and he was walking through this whole scenario with Joseph throughout his dream, and Matthew 24, understanding the obedience of Joseph, it says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Here's the thing. Joseph has a problem. His fiance is pregnant, and the baby's not his. Now, unfortunately, that's not big news today. And that's sad, but it's true. In the world that we live in, unfortunately, there are those times where we hear someone is pregnant but we don't know who the father is. And this is not any type of disparaging comment regarding the girl or the woman because we understand the last time I took sex 101, I understood that it takes two people to make a baby. Both are just as responsible. But in this period of time, it was quite unique. And here he is... His fiance is pregnant. The baby's not his. But here's what happens out of this character of Joseph Joseph reminds us that the call of God isn't always easy or conventional, but it's always right. The call of God isn't always easy or conventional, but it's always right. Because nowhere in Scripture do I find God saying, oops. Nowhere. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a providence. He is sovereign. He has a plan for our lives. And, and when that plan comes to fruition, it may not be easy. It may not be conventional. But it's always Right. When we first went into ministry, we had a guest at our church. And after church, the pastor was introducing us to him. Ron, Ron Hembree was his name. And he, he said, Ron, I want you to pray for Don and Barbara. They're getting ready to go into ministry. So Ron takes our hands, and we have a kumbaya moment there. And, and our eyes are closed, and I'm, I'm listening. And I hear him say this. Oh, God, as they're starting out on the ministry that you've called them to, do not let their road be easy. That's when I opened one eye and I said, you got to be kidding me. I'm thinking you're going to pray for anointing and power and service and we'll go out and change the world. And you're praying, God, do not let their road be easy. We never understood that. But I can tell you that all of the years of pastoring, almost 41 years of Barb and I married bliss, that even though the road has been hard at times, God has always been faithful. Even though there are times that he has called us to do things that do not seem conventional, in the end... It's always been right. And this is what we learned from Joseph. Joseph obeyed, and everything turned out all right. The question is this. In what ways is the Lord calling us to obey him this Christmas season? Is he calling us to spend less, to give more, to love all? to celebrate? Is he causing us to take some of those monies and plant a tree in a third world country in honor of somebody that we know? Is he calling us to slow down? Is he calling us to take a moment of prayer, penitence, preparation? Is he calling us to stop and help us understand it's really not about Black Friday or Cyber Monday, but it's about the birth of Jesus Christ, who, at, as Pastor mentioned earlier, the first advent, he came as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. The second time he's coming as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Will we be ready then? Will we be prepared? Will we be penitent? And then the fourth characters, if you will, in this story this morning, it tells us that the wise men worshipped. Matthew chapter 2 verse 11 says this, On coming to the house, they saw the child was with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. Here's the thing about worshiping God. God is more interested in our bowing than with the bows we put on our gifts. He's more interested in our bowing than the bows that we put on our gifts. He wants us before he wants what we have. He wants our hearts before he wants what's in our hands. He wants our presence before He wants our presence. And so when we come before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we come on Sunday morning and we celebrate, and it's, it's great that we, can, we raise our hands and we sing. It's great that when it's offering time, we put our tithe and our offering in the basket. It's great when we have one day to feed the world, and over $16,000 comes in. That's great. But you see, above and beyond all of that, God wants what we have. He wants our hearts. Because if we give Him our hearts, everything else will fall into place. And that's why I said earlier, worship is not an act, it's an attitude. Now, just in closing, let me give you a couple of other groups of people. While we have talked about those who have surrendered Jumped, magnified, obeyed, and worshiped, I want to identify two groups of people who refuse to worship, and they will be with you always. First of all, they're the intolerant. That's what we call the Herod group. They don't care for Christmas, and they're not all that crazy about Christians either. They're just going to be out there. They're the ones that need that special love and smile and hug and just, just the friendliness because that's the intolerant group. They just It's Christmas, and, and, and they'll just tolerate it, but they're not going to be tolerating of how you and I consider worshiping fully. And then there's a second group called the indifferent. That's the religious group. They're caught up in their rituals and routines and all the right answers but they resist Jesus Christ becoming their Savior, the intolerant and the indifferent. It's impossible to stay the same when we encounter Jesus Christ because adoration always leads to action and worship will always lead to work. So this morning I challenge you to enter the Christmas story this season as a participator. Recognizing this Christmas is not a season of greed, but a season of need. Watch this video, and it will explain what I'm talking about.
2: This is where we should get our drinking water. For well, the past, about 20, over 20 years now, we have been using this water here. See, so we have been for a whole lot long, long time for safe drinking water in this community. Yeah. Oh. For coming to release us all of these difficult tasks that we have been going through, yeah.
1: Would you stand with me this morning? I ask you the question just before we pronounce the benediction. Do you and I really have a need? We need whipped cream for our pumpkin pie. We need batteries for our toys. We need another game for our PlayStation. And I understand its balance. I don't think Pastor Jack or any of us during this season is asking you to take a vow of poverty. I think all we're asking all of us to do is to put into perspective and bring into balance the season of Christmas. Worship fully, spend less, give more, love all, and celebrate. Father, we thank you this morning for those that you have given to us out of this story. We thank you for Mary, who is willing to surrender, for John, who experienced that ecstasy even in his mother's womb, for the wise men that worshiped you, for Joseph, who obeyed. Father, may the words of this message ring true in our hearts this morning as we enter into this Advent season. We give you thanks and praise. We pray your blessing upon each one as we return to our homes and our places of business this week. We ask it in your name. Amen. 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 Amen.